faith. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for the, the love that you have for us, the way that you've paved the way for us to come. Lord, we come uh, just to give you thanks, to remember that you are the creator and sustainer. Lord, that all things rise and fall according to your will, that you establish things in a way that brings glory and honor to your name. Lord, and you work things together for our good as we love you. We thank you, God, that you are a God of sovereign, benevolent rule. Lord, we bless your name as you span the heavens and continue to uphold all creation with the authority of your word. God, we thank you that you uphold us, that our lives are able to respond to you today, that we're here, God, by your working. God, that you're here before us, you're here around us, you're here with us. God, that you abide in us by the Holy Spirit. So as we think of these things, God, we, we thank you again that you told us to come and to pray before you to seek grace and mercy. And so we do that, Lord, asking again, adding our prayers to the many that have come before you already for the crises and uh, California fires, God, where entire towns have been wiped off the map. Many have died, Lord, and uh, the land's been scorched. This is your land, Lord. Those are your people. The earth belongs to you and all the people in it. And we pray that you'd rush to their aid, that you'd do that through your people there. Thank you, God, for those that are bringing that aid, for firemen and policemen and those that are responding to the emergencies in various ways, we pray that you would speed them and provision them and strengthen them. And God, that you might be seen behind everything as you encounter people in that crisis. Lord, we pray for those that survived the shooting. And God, we just pray again, just the violence in our nation is a, is a symptom of our having left you and pushed you out the door. But God, we know that you're merciful and that if we cry when, when it doesn't rain any longer, when crops fail and finances drop, God, and there's just devastation, you said if we would cry out and call upon your name that you'd hear us and that you'd heal our land. We're asking you for that, God. We ask you for a cry to go up. We pray for cries from us, God, from those that are afflicted. And Lord, that you would answer those prayers, that you would comfort and counsel and bring good out of devastation. Show mercy, Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. And then we thank you for Barbara's great news, God of life, how you are the the God of life. You sponsor life, God, even as death happens, new life begins. And we thank you that you're a a God of the living and a God of life. And we thank you for the life that we found in Christ Jesus. And we bless you, Lord, that every good thing that you have, you've determined to share with us. And so we come asking for that goodness, God. We come asking for your provision. We pray the instruction you give us by your word would become part of who we are and the fiber of our being, that we would act out of the liveliness that it imparts. And God, that you'd be glorified in us. God, we desire that so much. We hunger and thirst to to participate with you. So, God, again, just to speak into our lives today, and we'll give you thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're back in James chapter 3, and we're going to hammer this until we get it down. That's what James does kind of through his letter, and he just kind of keeps hammering. So I wanted to let you all know this morning, I was just thinking about... uh, the affection I have for you, that's God-given, I just, I, I really appreciate y'all. I love you, really, you know, I'm just, gee, you know, I just, but I really appreciate y'all as a class and, and the way that you've received Denise and I over the last few years since we've been here, and we're, we've been blessed, and and uh, hopefully, hopefully every once in a while we're able to bless you, and I know Denise does, and, and uh, because of her you put up with me. So here I am. So here we are in the book of James. Chapter 4. And we want to read uh, 
I'm going to read it kind of in two sections, but I guess we ought to, we ought to start maybe back in uh, verse 10, even though we're really starting verse 11 today. It says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother or sister speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So when we read that, you know, that's, uh, again, we have to kind of go back and remember who we are, where we were, how God delivered us and made us the kind of the first fruits of his creatures by speaking into us by his living word and remembering then that, that we're in God, we're in Christ by the grace that he's uh, imparted to us and continues to pour out upon us because I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago that there's like 52 imperatives in this short letter. That's a lot of imperatives, isn't it, in five chapters? So that's 10 and 10.4 imperatives per chapter. That's a lot of commandments. And so when these commandments come our way, that, that's, uh, that's really weighty. And it's really, shouldn't be surprising then that, you know, Luther didn't really appreciate the book of James because he'd come out of trying to be a law keeper with everything that he had. He was, uh, he, he was the champion monk. At least that's what his father confessor said. He, was, he said, I never had a monk like Luther, man. This guy is at it tooth and nail all the time. But he didn't really like the book of James because there's not much mention of grace. It is mentioned. Jesus' name is only mentioned twice. But there's a lot of commands. There's a lot of things that he says we ought to be doing, that we should be doing, and things that we're doing that we shouldn't be doing. And so it's, it's a lot like reading uh, an Old Testament prophet, but at the same time, the impartation of the wisdom that God wants us to know that we can have if we ask him when we don't have it. And so that, that's good to remember where we've come from, how God provides for us, and that we can ask him when we're not up to par. You know, we don't know what it is that we need. Because when we look at these kind of things and... and uh, uh, the things that he's saying here, we need to remember that for sure because we're going to have to, to face these things and some, sometimes we'll find in, a, in ourselves, you know, that, hey, I'm not living up to that standard. I'm not doing what I ought to do or I'm, I've been doing this and didn't even recognize it. So I, I put down a few things here that uh, in that third paragraph that is uh, that are just kind of preeminent, I guess you'd say in the letter. We're to count trials as joy because God perfects us as we remain steadfast in them. So here we are to count trials as joys. And I guess uh, difficulties aren't not always trials, you know, but sometimes we enter into things that are real testing grounds for us in our faith. And we're to count that as a joy, knowing that God's working those things in us and working in us through those things to answer our prayers when we've prayed oftentimes that, you know, God, I want to be more like Jesus. You know, there's a Keith Green had this song back in the 70s called I Want to Be and then in parentheses more like Jesus and one of the verses says as each day passes by I feel my love run dry it seems I have a wealth of so many thoughts about myself you know but I want to I need to I want to be more like Jesus. And so that's really the cry of the human heart once we've met God is we want to be shaped into the form of Jesus. We might not use that exact language, but we want, to, we want to be closer to God. We want to be more intimate with Him. And so God uses trials, He uses difficulties in this life to remind us that we can call upon His favor and upon His wisdom, upon His provision. And so we can count it joy because these things are just what uh, the doctor ordered. You know, the great physician ordered. We encounter these things. So... Uh, that's good to know, isn't it?
that God's going to take these trials, these difficulties, and, and sometimes they, they come many of the time. He provides us wisdom via His Word, so we're called to be people that take Him at His Word. He made us new creatures through His Word, and so we find ourselves going back again and again, reading His Word, thinking on His Word, hearing His Word, and seeking to, to obey that Word because it's in the doing that we're going to be blessed. And one time I was, I was doing a Bible study. I used to go into prison a couple of times a week, and I do a Bible study in the library on Monday nights, and, and there was a sometimes there'd be five or six guys there. Sometimes there'd be one guy, me and another guy, you know. And so one night there were a few of us in there, and we were having this Bible study on something. I think it was something out of the Bible. And so we're having this study, and and a guy comes in late, and I'd never seen him before. He's a new inmate, and he came in, and he said uh, he was very very subtle. Hey, I'm here to get my blessing. And I'm going, oh boy. And so. Immediately, I, this verse came to my mind out of John 13. Jesus said, if you know what's right to do and you do it, he said, you're going to be blessed. And so I told the guy, I said, hey, Jesus said, if you'll do what you're supposed to do, you'll be blessed. And uh, he kind of looked at me, but anyway, it quieted him down, which is what I was after. So, <laughs> so when God gives us his word. It's wisdom for living to see things from God's perspective and act accordingly. But it's only in the doing of that word that we find a blessing. It's not just in hearing it over and over because we've all heard all of this stuff over and over. Haven't we? Have we heard just about, haven't you heard just about everything there is, you know? And some people present it better, you know, and so it seems a little more exciting. But the truth has been presented. If you've been in church any, any length of time, and if you went to Sunday school as a kid, you know, you've heard everything, really. I had a friend of mine who used to say, I'm using up time today because i got a short lesson. So I heard, I heard a friend of mine say one time, he said, you know, I've been in this church for three years. You've heard everything that I've got to say. So I'd been at some church for 10 years. I told him, I said, man, you've heard it three times from me and a third again. And so we hear the word of God if we're faithful to attend. But that wisdom never grows old and it gets applied in different circumstances all the time because we're, we're changing, we're growing forward. So God gives us wisdom in his word. Uh, our doing of that word is the blessing. Our speech then becomes evidence of our heart's condition. We can't really keep it down. We like to tamp it down sometimes, wouldn't you? Haven't you said things you wish I, I wish I hadn't said that? I don't mean they have to be really terrible things. Just so, I wish I didn't say stuff like that. But if it's in here, guess what? It's going to come out. You know, there's no way that we can not have it come out. But God is gracious and he bears with us. And so he keeps changing this so this becomes sweeter. You know, this becomes sweeter. And I've noticed this about myself. I'm even sweeter with Denise, I think, than I was 20 years ago. But since she lives with me every day, she doesn't notice that incremental change. Yeah. <laughs> She was thinking, she, she said, yeah, maybe. It's like a 2% improvement. But, but as God changes our heart, we begin to speak. And so, you know, we don't speak blessings of God out one side and out the other side comes this bitter water. And we curse by speaking evil of our neighbor. Because to speak evil, as we're going to see, to speak evil of our neighbor is to do the devil's work. He's the slanderer. God's not the slander. He's the, he's the one that really eulogizes us. He speaks well of us. And when he corrects us, he does it because he loves us. Because he wants us to be better and better. He wants us to grow in relationship with him. So our speech is evidence of our heart's condition. James mentions that on more than one occasion in this short letter. Uh, wrong ambitions and desires manifest themselves in hostility toward others. And, and sometimes, you know, in, in my family, that meant passive-aggressive. You know? In Denise's family, it meant some yelling. You know, but families are different. 
Which is more attractive, passive aggressive behavior or yelling? Well, neither one. You know, neither one of those is pretty. But when our heart's not right, you know, what, what comes out of it is going to be some kind of anger. And the anger that we have is not going to work the purposes of God. James says that in chapter 1, and he comes back to that again later. You know, that our anger is not going to accomplish what God wants. Would that politicians knew that, huh? Would that those people in authority in our nation right now knew, or moral rulers knew, that anger does not work the righteousness of God? Uh, would that we know that better, huh? so that we would speak peace and be bearers of peace because the wisdom of God sows peace by those who are peacemakers, James says. So God's jealous desire for us results in his providing more grace, which is an unusual thing, isn't it? First of all, James points out all these problems and the reality that God jealously yearns for us to be 100% totally his, and we're not, so he gives more grace. That's, isn't that interesting that the character of God, when he sees this offensiveness that's left in us, instead of slapping us down, he gives more grace. That's pretty astounding to me. Kind of turns things upside down than in the world's perspectives. But God's given us wisdom and he gives more grace. So the prophets say this in the Old Testament. James says it in the New Testament that God gives more grace. So I've said this many times, I'll say it again. I made the terrible mistake of thinking my pride would die before I did because pride is the root of all of this. Pride is the root of all of the anger that we spew out, you know, through our words or our passive-aggressive behavior. Uh, why we don't bear uh, good fruit? Because God's, in His grace, resists pride. So we're going to look at that a little bit more in a, in a minute. But, but the idea that pride is just a really antagonistic to God. It creates enmity between us and God, and it creates problems between us and other people. So I don't know who to give the attribution to on that, but, but it brought Satan down. You, read, you, know, you might want to read Obadiah. It's interesting. It's talking about uh, Edom. It's, uh, it's like, I, think it's the, I think it's probably the shortest book in the Bible, so it's a really quick read. I remember when I first started reading the Bible regularly, I started reading all the little books first. I looked in, I looked in the index. I said, look at that, it's only three pages. So I'd read that, you know. And then I, and then I could read a little longer. And then I got to the ones that were six pages or ten chapters, you know. I, hey, this is a piece of cake, you know. And then I got to Leviticus, which is not the longest book. But man, it sure seems like the longest. It reads like the longest book, doesn't it? So, so anyway, uh, Obadiah, I think, is probably the shortest book in the Bible. And it really zeroes in on the problem of the flesh because Edom is a type of the flesh. He's the descendants, another name for Esau, and he epitomizes what flesh is like. And it's his pride that destroyed him. And our pride, that, I, that desire to be in control, to really be our own God, is what creates problems, isn't it? And uh, tensions. And so God gives more grace to overcome that pride. Uh, but if we just keep putting that pride up, it's like it, it's, God says, no, I'll resist that but I give grace to the humble. And so we want, we want to look at that. So there's two major sections of the passage. The first one is verses 11 and 12, and that's, what, that's why I wanted to read that verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his or her brother, sister, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He was able to save and to destroy, but who are you that you judge your neighbor? And so God's intent is to purify our hearts so that we speak blessing, that we don't judge other people. So we've already looked back in chapter 2. We saw that uh, um, partiality is something that we're not to show. People come into the church and, you know, whatever their 
uh, presumed economic status is. You know, we're not to we're not to show favoritism on that on that basis. We're to treat everyone the same, to give them the same attention, to speak to them the same. And, and this is a this is not human nature, is it? If you read about it, if you if you've seen this global prayer digest that that Murray provides, if you want to get one of those, it just takes you through uh, continents and nations and tribal groups on a on a monthly basis. Right now, it's in India. And I don't know how many caste systems there are in India. I don't, I don't know if anybody really knows how many caste systems there are because castes tend to have subcastes. And these people might, be, might have relatives, you know, that they can trace back that they came out of the same caste at some point, but no longer will they talk to one another and they're all separated. They're all partial against one another. They're, they're partial only in themselves. Fortunately, you and I don't have that problem in America. Right? But it's very obvious in a, in a nation like India you know, and in some ways, it's obvious in any nation. But we all have this tendency to be partial. And God says, that, that's not my heart. I'm impartial. And remember, you, you told me you wanted to be more like who I am. Well, I'm impartial. I don't show partiality. And so that, that's a high standard. But Jesus blesses us when we realize that we are spiritually impoverished. And we, we are always, in a, in a sense impoverished of more of the grace of God. And so we keep coming back to him. We recognize that. And God says uh, the kingdom belongs to us. So here's how we tend to get a leg up in life, isn't it? Put our neck on the other guy's, or excuse me, put our foot on the other guy's neck. That's how we try to tend to get a leg up. So I just, uh, I've been watching this documentary. It's pretty old, 25, 30 years old. It's called The Prize. It's about the rise of petroleum in the world back starting back 1850s you know and going going from there some guy wrote this big Pulitzer Prize winning book called The Prize and it you know the champion of the oil industry was John D. Rockefeller and John D. was a man he was the perfect businessman he knew exactly how to put his foot on the neck of the competitors and if it hadn't have been for Ida Tarbell who had a a lot of problems herself, <laughs> but she did expose him, you know, in terms of of his monopolistic tendencies, which though they didn't break the law, they sure did push the envelope, you know. And so here's John D, and he's just wiping out these other companies. And uh, but he's a good Baptist guy. He teaches Sunday school. You know, I mean, really, I'm not I'm not condemning the guy. I don't know where his heart was. He taught Sunday school, and he was known to give out money on the streets to people. Indeed, he'd give ten dollar bills to people. You know, so he's very generous. And when he retired at the age of, I think, 59, he lived in 96. So he retired early, and his son, John D. Jr., his lifelong job was to give away his dad's money. So he's the first billionaire, and his son spent his whole career giving away his dad's money to benevolent causes. Well, that's kind of interesting. But at any rate, uh, Ida Tarbell didn't like him. And uh, so we got the trust busters and Teddy Roosevelt came in there with his big stick and beat on the companies. And, and so I'm thinking, go after Jeff Bezos, would you? <laughs> you know, I can, come on. So, but but there's, a lot of, there's a lot of class envy and things. And so we're, we're here not to judge people, but to speak blessing, you know, to, be, to be true speakers and blessing, you know, because God blesses us. He blesses the little children. He blesses those that come to him. He gives more grace. But lots of times we don't realize that we're judging people. And I was thinking about this this week. In fact, I told Denise, I said, this is really an unusual thing because we have all this in Scripture where we're not to judge lest we be judged. You know, Jesus says that, right, as he begins to close out the Sermon on the Mount. And then yet Paul says in 
1 Corinthians in chapter 5, he said, now listen, he said, I didn't tell you to separate yourself from the world, you know, from, from people in the world that do these terrible sins. Otherwise, we'd have to leave the world. But to separate yourself from so-called brothers and sisters, you know, push them out of the fellowship. Don't have anything to do with them. Make a judgment call. But when he called them to do that, he didn't tell them to judge them as and condemn them. He said, really, just make a discerning. If these people are in sin, put them out. Because one bad apple is going to ruin the whole barrel, you know. But we're not to judge in terms of condemning or passing that kind of judgment because we're not the lawgivers. There's only one lawgiver, and all of us are under the law, at least in one sense. Not, we're not under the law as believers in terms of gaining our righteousness, but we are under the law. It's, the law doesn't go away. It's established in the heavens for all eternity. But we are under that as a parameter. What's it look like to love God? I didn't get to go to the service this morning, but I'm sure as Howard was talking about the first uh, tablet of the commandments, he was talking about how we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, our, and then I get to talk about our neighbor next week. Okay? But loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, there are these four commandments. That, that hasn't changed. This is how you love God. He's first. He's number one. You don't erect something else and worship that. You know, you honor His name. You speak well of God. You defend His honor. And you observe the Sabbath to keep it holy. And you remember you've come into rest because He's done this for us, you know. That, that, that never changes. So we're all under the law. We're not here to pass that judgment on other people. Well, you weren't there, Sunday. What's wrong with you, you know? We're not here to do that. That's not what we're called to do. But if we begin to judge people then we set ourselves above the law. Ah, so we're the one on Mount Sinai and the smoke and the fire. No, we're not. There's one lawgiver and judge. He was able to save and to destroy. And so we have to really be careful. We don't try to tread into God's position. But we really like to be God, don't we? We really like doing it. And so we erect systems, even religious systems, that condemn people. There was a lady in used to come to my church when I was in New Mexico. Her daughter was our pianist, and, and her mom was... I guess she was widowed. I don't even know. Juanita's. Yeah. Anyway, she was a really kind of a kind of a shy, withdrawn lady, and she smoked. And so she'd grown up in a denomination that really saw smoking as man. You can't you can't know God if you're a smoker, you know. And so she always she felt less than. And so when, we, when she was at our church and we'd have communion, she, I couldn't get her to take communion. I could not get her to take it. I said, no, you know, God's not. He wants you to have grace. He wants you to receive what he has in Jesus. No, I can't do that. I'm smoking. You know? And so she had, she had been judged by this particular denominational structure. But that we're not the lawgivers. That's not who we are. You know, we're the people that are to be doing God's word and helping those that are in need rather than passing our judgment on to them. But, but we still have a propensity to do that. And we might not even voice it. We just kind of hold it in our heart. But it's going to slip out in, in uh, casual conversations, you know. It's going to slip out in the way that we think if we if we're still have that in our heart. So we've got to be careful. It's not our prerogative. I ever tell you this story? This is a great... Yeah, I probably did. Never mind. So we, we don't have the prerogative to judge other people. We don't even have the prerogative to judge ourselves. That's not our position. You know, We can just set ourselves before God and before His Word and let that Word scope us out. And we can invite the Holy Spirit to walk with us in ex- an examination of heart, which we ought to do at communion or during the confessional time that we enjoy in our church services. But we're not the judge. 
You know, we're not we're not going in there and saying, "Oh, you what a you're worthless piece of." You know, that's not, that's not our prerogative. God's the judge, and His Word says that we're relieved from judgment because Christ Jesus became our sin, and so there's no longer any condemnation directed toward us. So we receive that good counsel, and so at the end of our confessional time, you know, we speak about receiving the peace of God. He's spoken that peace. Does that mean we try to stay in our sin? No, we want out of that sin. You know, we don't go on sinning because we've received grace, but slowly we kind of drag ourselves out of the mire. Actually, God's doing it as we cooperate with him, but, but we're coming up out of that mire. But in the meantime, God's not condemning us. So judging others, speaking evil of them, means we're placing ourselves above the law, but that law has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And so James has spoken earlier about this as being the royal law, the law of love. That God's judgment's been overcome by His mercy, and so we become people that that give mercy. So uh, you know, you think about uh, about how Jesus showed that, and in several occasions, I was reading in the Gospel of Mark his his take on the where the guy was lowered down in the into the middle of that crowded house. They went up, and took some tiles off, and they spins dropping down in the middle of this teaching time, you know. And and uh, Jesus said, uh, "Your sins are forgiven you." People say, whoa, what's the deal with that? You know, who can say that but God? Well, he's just demonstrating, I am God. I have the authority to forgive. And so, so instead of condemning this man, he says, your sins are forgiven. Then he says, just to show you, I've got this authority, take up your bed and walk. That's pretty amazing. But first of all, he wants us to know that sin is the root of all the dysfunction in the world. And he has authority to forgive that. And he does, it, he does it looking forward to his cross. We do it looking backward to his cross. But sins are forgiven so that there's no judgment that comes toward us. So one of my favorite stories in the Bible is, is that Jesus is always doing these Bible studies. It'd be fun to be in a Bible study with Jesus, wouldn't it? As he interprets himself. Wouldn't that be something? And we really are, aren't we? Every time we gather, Holy Spirit's with us and enlightens us. But, but it would have been neat to be there in the flesh. So anyway, so Jesus is having this Bible study on the Temple Mount. And uh, right in the middle of this Bible study, these guys drag this woman that's trying to cover her nakedness up up in the middle of this group. Says, Lord, we just caught this. Master, we just caught this woman having sex with this guy. Moses says we ought to kill her. What do you think? And so Jesus ends up, after letting people continue to think about where they stand before God, and he sends her away saying, uh, you know, where are those that condemn you? Then he says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. You're free. So this is the nature of Jesus that you and I want to have. And so that's the way we were to look at other people. And when we find out something about them, maybe we don't know anything about them, we find out something about them, so you go, oh, wow. You know? But to know that we don't know much, do we? Except we do know that Jesus is merciful. He knows everything. And so we're to, we're to give that kind of a blessing. We're to impart mercy through that. So this is really, I like reading this over and over. I had to memorize for a while and if you're a navigator and you don't review it, you know, you start losing words and then you have to paraphrase it. Then pretty soon somebody will call you and judge you on it. <laughs> so I'm going to read it to you. So here's, here is Moses. He's just come down off the mountain. He's got the tablets. He's got them for the second time now. He's already crushed them, you know. The golden calf's been ground up, thrown in the water. They've had to drink their sin. And, and now he has to come back and, and God... He's going to give him the commandments again. So while Moses is there, he says this. This is verse 5 of 
Exodus chapter 34. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and their children's children of the third and the fourth generation. And those wicked are the prideful, those who will not come, who will not receive. But to those who come, God says, man, I'm full of loving kindness and mercy, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. So we'll remember benefits. This morning we were praying, and, and Nancy quoted Psalm 103, you know, forgetting not all these benefits, who forgives all of your iniquities. Boy, that's a good that's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of bent toward evil. That's a lot of pride that causes us to sin against God. And then the transgressions where we just step across the line knowingly. It's like, okay, we see the line drawn there. And God says, this is, this is a no-go area. And we're I'm going. <laughs> you know? He forgives iniquity, transgression. And then we try to shape up. We're going to do better. We get up in the morning. We have our devotional time. We sense the presence of God. His mercies are new every morning. We're refreshed. We step out into the world. And then our spouse comes in. <laughs> and all of a sudden we're short-tempered. You know? Well, I, mean, I know you're not like that. But He forgives all of our iniquity, our transgression, and our sin. Even when we're trying to do the best and we just can't do it. He forgives all of that. Wow, this is an amazing thing. It's just absolutely astounding that God is like this constantly and how it just continues to chip away and to, re renew, and to renew and restore this. You know, we're, we're, we're dying daily outwardly, but inwardly we're being renewed. It just continues. What God put in the core of us begins to, to radiate out as we give Him time, as we come before Him, as we cry for mercy, as we seek grace, as we fellowship. It just continues to envelop more and more of who we are. And so then you get away around somebody like Kay Stargell, you know, and she's just full of grace and mercy. And she, but, she, but she had a lot of years to perfect it, right? Isn't that right, Kay? I have a lot of years. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so we have hope because we see other people that are in the same, they're in the same path we're in, you know. And we're sharing that in fellowship. And we say, yeah, this is going to turn out good. So it comes down to, let's see, verse uh, 13. Still continuing to speak about another aspect of pride. Come now, you say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. This informed all of... Well, I'll say that in a minute. So we're saying, we're going to do this. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And so in the first chapter he said, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like the flower of grass he will pass away. The sun rises with its scorching heat, the flower withers and its beauty perishes. So will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So will the man who has all these great plans. I'm going to build bigger barns, man. This is just great. I'll be able to give more money to the church. Oh, man, I'm, this is wonderful. And then they die. So he says, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. that this is the philosophy of Tennessee Ernie Ford. The good Lord willing and the creek don't rise. See you next week. You know? Oh, yeah. We don't know much, do we? So why do we act like we do? This says nothing about not making plans. It doesn't say that. It says just realize your plans may not come to fruition. 
But you can always trust God to undergird you, to provide for you, to take care of you. But you can't trust in your plans. Sometimes it turns out better than we planned them. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows what is right to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin, for her it's sin. See, so some people complain because they're always using masculine pronouns in Scripture. And there, the masculine pronouns is, you know, eh, for who, whoever knows what is right to do and fails to do it, for him it's sin. What about the ladies? Come on! We need, we need equal footing here. So we have this command against boasting and our arrogance, but it is our default position in life since Eden to, to think we're going to control our life. But we don't control our life. You know, like I've said before, and sometimes I, I think about this pretty often, how the very important things in life we have absolutely no control over. You know, where we're born, skin color, financial background that we come up out of, you know, all those kind of things that are so vital. You know, somebody that grows up in inner city Detroit, which would be a terrible thing to happen, wouldn't it? They don't have quite the advantages of somebody that grows up on Fifth Avenue in New York, you know, as far as college education and money to back them up as they're trying to get their way in life. You know, they don't have any of those kind of advantages, and especially if their skin color is different, then that even throws a, a different whammy on it. We have very little control over the things that really matter in life. And the things that we do think we have control over, even those we don't have control lots of times. But we boast like we do. We, we just uh, don't realize how fragile we are sometimes. So arrogance is the opposite of humility, and God has already said that that in our boasting, that in our pride, he will resist us. Well, we don't want God to resist us. We want to receive grace. We want to be in a position so we're called to humility. So life is a life is a gift. So Denise was, what was that thing you were reading the other day about the, the I know was you watching on your YouTube about the lady with the place they were living in now? And she called it a gift. She said we're living our gift. Living our gift, okay. So, you know, you just think about life is a life is gift, isn't it? Life is gift, ever every aspect of it. And uh, to live with that mindfulness, you know, rather than being arrogant, you know, thinking, Well, I'm just taking this thing by the horns, you know. Well, sometimes you get gored when you take things by the horns, but but we really don't know if we're even gonna get a hold of the horns or not. And so we're to, to live in a in a place of humility, submitting ourselves to God on a regular basis, which is the rightful thing to do because God has this claim on our life. Our body is not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Well, that gets pretty practical, doesn't it? That gets pretty practical. If, we're, if our body's been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus, then we're to give that back. We're not our own. That's what Paul says. He says, you know, give your bodies as a living sacrifice, he says in Romans. So here we are, and, and since our life is a gift, God says, you give me, give me that back, I'll... I'll show you what it can really be. I'll show you how blessed you can really become, how, how you can really become like me and one with me. And so we're called to do that. Jesus did it perfectly. He did it perfectly. He gave his life back to his Father, and because of that, we're here today. What he gave to the Father got multiplied millions of times. So we need to humbly commit to his care. And uh, you think about humility, and humility is really doubly attractive. First of all, it attracts the grace of God. Secondly, it's attractive to those around us. You know, people that are truly humble, they're, they're attractive folks. You know, they just kind of draw us in. And uh, 
So we want, we want to be like that. We want to be humble. We want to be beneath the hand of God and stay there. Well, let's pray and we'll, we'll uh, get another cup of coffee and go to home or go to worship. Father, we do bless you again today, God. We, we got up this morning and you gave us another morning, more time. Help us to be good, God, to redeem the time by staying beneath your hand. Not to busy ourselves with things that seem good or certainly not things that seem bad, but to submit ourselves to you. God, we have a lot of plans. There are things on Denise and I's plate we're looking at for the next summer. Lord, we, we hope those things come to fruition. We, we really put a lot of uh, attention toward that. But God, even more than that, we want to be beneath you, Lord. We want you to develop your plan in us to fulfill your purpose. God, help us to be mindful of that. And we do thank you that you've given us the gift of life in Christ Jesus, that you've made us, God, the first fruits of your creatures. So help us to glorify you, to honor you, Lord, to enjoy you forever. And God, bless us as we go out this week that uh, somehow in the weakness of who we are, we might draw on your strength, receive your grace, speak words of grace to others, impart grace where we go, especially, Lord, to those close to us. Let us be a, a compliment the grace we receive from them, giving back, God, and multiplying the effect of it. So we give you thanks again today. God, bless your people today. Bless your church and bless your kingdom in the world, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a good